So yesterday, uh, I was uh, out at St. Gall's in, in Elburn um, uh, for a funeral. Um, my Aunt Janet, uh, who's been sick for many years, uh, passed away this last week. And so we had a, a beautiful uh, funeral mass uh, there for her yesterday. And, you know, today we're doing kind of a celebration of life out at the... Uh, out at Lions Park there in, in Elburn, um, but maybe not because of the rain, we'll see. Uh, maybe at the house there, um, my uncle's house, my Uncle Dave. Uh, my Uncle Dave and my Aunt Janet have lived these last 15 years uh, in, in a, uh, a tough situation. I mean, she's had, she was diagnosed with Alzheimer's 15 years ago, and it was uh, quick as it came on and, and long-lasting. And uh, so, in a sense, it was a real blessing to be able to celebrate that Mass and to celebrate her, uh, her being freed from that, right? And, and, but the thing that I, I, I found remarkable uh, with the whole situation, what I want to just talk a little bit of briefly about today, is just the, the great sacrifice uh, that my, my Uncle Dave uh, made over these last 15 years. Um, you know, he, he took seriously the vows that he made, that they made uh, together when they got married here in this church uh, back in 1969. Uh, uh, my, aunt, my Aunt Janet, uh, my dad's sister, uh, she, taught, she taught second grade over here in the grade school. And uh, I was upset then because I was in second grade and I didn't get to have her as my teacher. I got Mrs. Hyde, who nobody liked. And... Uh, <laughs> Yeah, we called her uh, uh, um, um, uh, Dr. Jekyll and Mrs. Hyde. That's what we... <laughs> uh, but, you know, the, the, the thing that they promised uh, back here in this church so many years ago was uh, it, what all married couples promised to, for better or for worse, uh, in sickness and in health until death do you part. And uh, my uncle, uh, Dave, and I, I even brought it up at the Mass and thanked him because he just treated my Aunt Janet with such love and respect and cared for her uh, like no one else. And, and these last 15 years, and when you talk to him, you'd never know that there was this uh, thing in his life, in their life together, that was so painful and difficult. You'd never know. He never complained. He never had a... He never, uh, gave off any sign of sadness. He just—he knew what he was doing, and he, he loved what he was doing, and he had chosen to do what he was doing. And at some point in the process, he realized that by doing this, by doing the will that God had given him to do as a husband, uh, and as a good example to, to all the boys, my cousins, uh, that in doing this hard thing, this thing that was not easy, not convenient, not wanted. God was blessing him in so many other ways. Isn't that how it works? And the older of us here in this church know that's true, that a lot of times we have to do things that are really hard. But when we do the things that are hard, because that is what God wants us to do, he blesses us and finds... Uh, and, and, and we find in our life then a degree of happiness we never thought we could have. It's counterintuitive. It's certainly not the way the world thinks, huh? 
that you know, we have to avoid suffering and difficulty at all costs. But that's just not the way for us. It can never be if we want to be happy, if we want to have that peace. So it was a great celebration. And it was also a testament to a great love affair of these two over these many years. Huh? So today, uh, Jesus uh, is being challenged by these uh, Pharisees who don't care about the issue at hand, only to get something to, to trap Jesus. And, and, he, and he knows their game, and he calls them on it in a very nice way, in a very specific and intentional way. Uh, you see, the, the, the Pharisees are, uh, and you have to really appreciate this to know what this gospel is about, is that they were, they were paid by the Romans, um, in a sense. The, the, the tax that they're talking about uh, that was paid to the Romans by, by the Jews uh, was also kickback to the Pharisees. They got two days' wages, the equivalent of two days' wages of each person who paid the tax every year uh, went back to the, to the temple authorities. They were making a lot of money off, of, uh, off this tax that they're trying to trip Jesus up. So Jesus says, look, you guys are the ones benefiting from this tax. Why are you asking me? Pay it. Pay what you owe. But he goes, but while we're on the subject, whose image is on the coin? Obviously, it's Caesar. We know that. Now, this is why this is significant. That word image is used other places in Scripture, and most principally, and what Jesus is referring to, referring to here is it's used in Genesis. It's used in the beginning. It's used, it's used in, in the garden. It is the, it is the means by which it is described that we have received the image and likeness of God, the image that we're made in, and also the likeness. The likeness is the spirit, is the life that God breathes into them. And so when they had the image and the likeness, they were within, they were that beautiful relationship with God where what God wanted, they wanted. What God asked, they desired. Perfect unity, the image and likeness. Well, they didn't trust God. They thought God was not a good father. What all the, all the reasons we can come up with, they decided that they didn't want to do what God wanted because they thought, maybe if I do what God wants, I'm not going to be happy. I'm not, gonna, I'm not going to receive that which I desire. He's not going to give me, so I'm, I'm going to do my own thing. Well, how, did that play, how did that play out? Well, what was the one thing that God said you can't do? God gave Adam all the work that God did in the garden, God gave to Adam to do. That's how close it was. Adam did what God did. Yeah. Till and keep, guard and protect, name the animals. Uh, you know, you order worship. You're the priest, you're the prophet, you're the king, you're the son, you're the bridegroom. How can there be anything? I can't give you anything else. But there was that one thing. Remember what it was? It said, you can't eat from this tree. Tree of knowledge of good and evil, we placed in the middle. Now, why? Because the tree was bad? No, because God is God and we're not. He's the creator, we're the creature. There has to be some division, doesn't there? Doesn't there have to be something that says, I'm not God? So God said, I, I, there's this one thing that I'm not going to give you a share in the work. You get to do everything, but you can't decide what's right and wrong. The tree of knowledge of good and evil, right and wrong. That's me. I decide. 
You don't. And that still holds for us, brothers and sisters. We don't get to decide what's right and wrong. The one thing, that, that, that dividing line that says, God, you're God, and, and, and I'm not. You created me, and I exist only because of you, is he decides what's right and wrong. Not us. Not ever. And boy, do we need to hear that, don't we? We live in a world... What, was, what, do, you, what do you call that when you would decide what's right and wrong for yourself? It's called moral relativism. The tree of knowledge of good and evil in the garden was, was moral relativism. The very first sin of our parents was the sin of moral relativism. God, you're holding out. I don't trust you. I'm going to decide what I'm going to do for myself. And that's what happened. That's where evil comes from. The source of all our sins. Lust of the eyes, lust of the flesh, the pride of life is from that decision to just say, God, I don't trust you. I'll decide for myself. And so we have to decide that. Is there anything in us that contributes to this moral anarchy? Because it is. Because if you look at the world today, with moral relativism, our our primary, primary sacrament in our secular culture, that means that there is as many moral systems in existing in the world today as there are people. That I am my own moral system. I decide for myself what's right and wrong. You do what you do, I'll do what I do. Live and let live. But that doesn't work, does it? Because when I do this, I still have to interact with somebody whose system of morality is different than mine, and we're not going to agree. We're going to have problems. We're going to bump into each other. We're going to have conflict, unnecessary conflict. Because if we would just listen to God and say, I offer you Everything, because you have given me everything, I offer you all my obedience and thanksgiving for the life that you give me, and that means that I will do what you say I should do, and I will not do what you tell me I cannot do. If we just would do that, can you imagine the world we'd be in today? Can you imagine how it is we would treat each other differently? Because if we just said, God, I'll do what you do and I won't do what you tell me not to do, how loving and kind and generous and sacrificial and compassionate and good we would be to our brothers and sisters because that's what God wants. And so we would do that. And we wouldn't be immersed in this outrage culture where we're angry at everybody and yelling at everything and and upset and in everybody's face and, and just every man out for himself because that's not what God wants us to do. Give to Caesar what is Caesar, but you give to God what is God's. And God demands from us our obedience in all matters of right and wrong. There's no exception. There shouldn't be a problem. But there is. Because we're afraid of what happens if I live this way. What happens if I do what God asks me to do. My life will be different. My uncle Dave saying... This is going to be a long, tough road, and I don't want to do it. I'm out. Could have done it. But the tragedy that that would have been, the unbelievable suffering that would have caused to him and his family and his wife, the the failure of the witness of a father to his sons, if he had chosen to do it that way. 
But he didn't. He chose to do what God told him to do at cost to himself. And now God blesses him in ways unimaginable. We have to trust that God is a good father. He's going to take care of us. And he's going to take care of us because, and Lord, I did, I, I did the thing. Because I, I love you and you're God and I'm not. So I know you're going to take care of me. God's going to take care of my own. He has these last 15 years. There's no other way he could have got through it. And so when we're out there today and you're saying, I don't want to listen to my parents. I, I don't want to do this thing for my spouse. Do I have to put up with this person for one more day? I don't want to go to work. I don't want to, you know, I want the car and I can't have it and I'm angry so I'm going to pout and slam doors. And, you know, and I, I don't want to wait till I'm married to, to engage in the marital gift. I don't want to do that. I don't want to be told that I have to have Pro-life is the non-negotiable first thing is I make a decision how to vote. I don't want to do that. I want to vote how I want to vote. I don't want to do what the church or, 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 or the Lord through his church is, has commanded us. I don't. But brothers and sisters, that's not up to us. He's given us everything. And all he asks is, is for us to say, Lord, you're God and I'm not. So whatever you tell me to do, I will do. Whatever you tell me not to do, that I will not do. It's not rocket science. It's just hard. And it's painful sometimes. But God is a good father. And he loves you and me. And he's going to take care of us. And he's going to give us what we need in order to make the tough decisions and to follow through on the things in our life which are sacrificial, painful, but necessary because they're love. Amen? All right. So, there we go. Let's stand and pray.